Hello, dear listeners. In today's episode, we discuss weekly news. We start with a discussion of protests in Moscow, where we assess what can happen in the future and what is the fate of Russian government and Russian and Russia in general. And in the second part, we discuss American politics, inauguration of Joe Biden, um, his first uh, three days as a president in office, and lots of security stuff connected to his new security, national security advisor, and to his uh, the whole governmental apparatus. So subscribe to our channels, rate us, and as always, enjoy. So hello everyone. Yes, we are back. Uh, we're we're back finally after a week's break, uh, mm-hmm. but we're ready to get back into discussing international politics. So um, the first topic for today will be what's going on right now as we speak in Russia. Mm-hmm. A huge protests uh, happening in various cities all mm-hmm. across the country. So Dimitri, you as our expert on Russia, tell us why are people in the streets right now? I can't say I'm an expert, but since I'm Russian, of course, I feel this uh, topic has a special meaning to me. Well, uh, of course, it's it's you know terrible footage, but I also participated in, in kind of like manifestations like this in the past, so I can kind of feel what's going on right now in Moscow and in other cities. Well, I mean, I'm totally skeptical in terms of what results those manifestations can bring because. You know, we observed the, to- the complete failure of such manifestations, even in Belarus, where like number of protesters outnumbered Russian Russian numbers, and where like the government is relatively weak and relatively small, right? Um, yes. I'm not. I mean, it's it's just painful because it just creates, I guess, for Russians, for Russian mentality, there is always this like you know uh, perfect image of Russia, and there is like real Russia, and there is like the hope for change, but it kind of faces like this real Russia, real Russia, this image of real Russia, like totalitarian Russia, you can say. And yeah, it's just hard to, you know, reconcile those two things um, and to think about Russia, just to hope good for Russia, because I also think, you know, if uh, like real revolution happens in Russia, it won't be really good for the country and for the people who live in. uh. Uh So... I just, in terms of in terms of Navalny, yeah, I would say I still hope for just um, in the future for peaceful transition of power, maybe from Putin to one of his like more liberal successors, so to speak, or liberal, more liberal friends or technocrats, whatever, or whoever he chooses, uh, so to speak. Um, but you know, if um, if if this situation still kind of like um, will continue to heat up, then of course. It's the blame of uh, Russian government for doing this. Yeah, I guess. So, um, yeah, we all know that those protests started with Navalny coming back to Russia and getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that Navalny has been kind of on the sidelines of Russian politics for quite a long, long time. And he mm-hmm. wasn't really in the media, wasn't really a leader of the opposition. But after mm-hmm. his poisoning attempt, he kind of came back into... Yeah. the common uh, common perception. Uh, so do you think that after his uh, 
poisoning and now after his arrest he can kind of emerge as some sort of a leader for the Russian opposition? Yeah, and I mean, he definitely was absent from news cycle for a while before he was uh, before he was poisoned. But of course, like uh, we we uh, will have in Russia uh, um, parliamentary elections in two thousand in this year, I guess in September or something like this. So of course they are, I guess, afraid of um, just they afraid of any kind of opposition to the ruling party and just afraid of anyone who can. Um, who can present danger? I mean, I I also think that they like people like Putin can you know believe that uh, he's backed up by Western powers because you can also see coverage by Western countries, which is a little bit non. I would say it's a little bit nonsense to cover like these events in such a terrible, another terrible way, just to present it in like one-sided way. Because, you know, the same thing when happens in like Germany with protesters or in the US, no one kind of like presents it in a way that takes a violation of human rights, you know, by totalitarian government and something like this. No one presents it this way. So they kind of play to Putin's hands, so to speak, when they kind of um, portray him too much in the Western media as a leader mm-hmm. of Russian opposition. But I don't think he can, He he's like real leader of... Uh, Russian opposition, uh, in terms of, I don't, I don't see him uh, as as a leader who can, you know, take reins of the country or something like this, or even, uh, or even can make a revolution. But of course, there is a total sentiment, especially today, that you know people um, go to the streets not because uh, not because they support Navalny, but because they think like what. what what is happening to him can happen to everyone and this is like just you know direct atrocity when a person comes back to his country and you know he gets arrested just for nothing and i mean the fun thing they even forced you know plane to land in another airport because uh, they had like more security forces there uh, waiting (laughs) for him which is which is you know nonsense imagine you buy tickets uh, to one airport and then you land in another which is far away from your, maybe your home or something yeah total nonsense so, um, and total uh, i guess <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, total nonsense uh, so do you think it was even worth for the russian authorities to arrest him shouldn't they have just you know let him be wouldn't it be his topic would mm-hmm. you know die out in the media after some time and there wouldn't be those protests yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a mistake, I guess, uh, when you look in a long-term perspective and Russians are very famous for not for overlooking, let's say, long-term perspectives and long-term thinking. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, of course, when they just arrest him, they kind of uh, draw attention to him and they make him popular and they make him kind of a pariah. And what he is now, it's like he's more like a pariah. Uh, than like a politician and of course pariah is like a very neutral character um, causes way more um, just it just uh, attracts way more people to him because he definitely doesn't seem like this crazy just national like national nationalistic politician but he mainly uh, looks like a pariah right now the person you know who was they tried to murder him then they kind of like said well you can stay in forever like you know Khodorkovsky uh, before he was arrested he was also like um, he was also in 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 some European country and you know uh, Kremlin people told him you you never come back you know like we let you let's say uh, go abroad but we 
you don't come back because you'll be arrested. And, and he didn't believe them, and eventually he got arrested. I guess, this, yeah, the same. This sounds like Imperial Russia, you know, getting banished. Yeah, it's, this is exactly what it is. I mean, Putin definitely is afraid of any kind of uh, person who can cast doubt on him. And you can see that, you know, like, there is, like, there is, like, this uh, concept, I guess, that was uh, uh, created by some Russian political, like, jar specialist, you know, in 2012, I remember they said, like, if, if, not, if not Putin, then who, you know, kind of like this strange question, uh, rhetorical uh -huh. question uh, that kind of has no answer and that implies that there is only one person that can rule Russia because, I don't know, Russia is so difficult, Russia is so big, I don't know. But it's it's totally uh, this, you know, framing in a way that he's the one and he's like the, the Tsar, he's like the guy who unites the country and do and, and, and he, he unites the country and does all, all the best for the country. Um, but of course, he is really afraid of any serious competition to him, or just like serious uh, opponents uh, can cause any kind of uh, trouble, even in media, even, even in media terms, you know. But still, Putin has a lot of popular support in the country, like com in comparison yeah. to Lukashenko, who had really very little support, and he still managed to uh, put down the protests. I think Putin is uh, quite safe. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, of course. I mean, and uh, let's not forget that he has uh, an enormous. Uh, I, of course, they have like uh, he has enormous like this uh, apparatus of uh, police and military around him that totally support him, that totally believe in him, believe in him, and believe in, in in his leadership. Um, but also, yeah, like just normal people. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Um, um, maybe maybe people have some sentiments uh, in terms of something is wrong, but they still kind of love Putin because uh, they see Putin as a, a leader of the country, as someone who united it after very hard times and stuff like this. So yeah, I mean, I I, I totally I after Belarus because you know I, I for example told since the outset of those uh, protests in Belarus that nothing would change, and uh, when it, like the situation was really dramatic. Uh, no one kind of believed me, right? Because they're like, yeah, it would be kind of second Ukraine. But just if, when you just have, you know, a handful handful people on a good salary who can beat up those protesters, you already kind of like your revolution fails. You know, it's not like Middle East uh -huh. where uh, you have uh, some kind of, some forces support one leader in military, some forces support another. Like Russian military will always be... Uh, Controlled, it will always it will always be controlled by president, and there is no there is no doubt that anyone will you know move in there and say yeah like no 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 to his orders or something like this. But also, I mean, it's just interesting question. But you know, uh, revolution can happen only in Moscow, and in Moscow, I just participated in those uh, manifestations, and I can say there is like no space for people together actually. So once you kind of have, let's say like 30,000 people how they claim to the like today a position i guess it's like less something like 30,000 you can say okay uh, there is no space so you're kind of forced to go to the street in terms of like this big highway which you know like cars uh, uh, with like speed limit mm -hmm. of like 100 kilometers so you kind of forced either to go there which is like completely illegal right you kind of block not even like a road but a highway uh, or just uh, you know just to do nothing because uh, they completely like all 
main squares now they have this you know, monuments or big buildings and there is uh, or, or something like some bullshit christmas tree market or something like i don't know <laughs> uh, and there is no space actually for people to gather in moscow like in st petersburg the situation is a little bit different and they kind of like block streets because it's, uh, it's different kind of more european type of a city but in moscow it's like very centralized city and uh I, after like revolution in 80s for example they basically realized that, you know, if you rebuild the Moscow in a way that you can kind of prevent, prevent people from gatherings, there is like, not just not incentive to gather, but if you gather, there is like no, nothing happening, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. and you can like, because people like spread, Spons- yeah, people spread around the street. So you just block one street. So you can, you, you like deny access uh, to, to one part of the city and then you kind of block and like, yeah, divide and conquer, so to speak. This is like their, uh, this is their, their tactics. Yeah. So essentially, until uh, someday Putin loses the support of the military, nothing will change, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's also important to say that um, like the difference between, like, let's say, Soviet Union and Russia, that you, you can leave Russia, right? And like Soviet Union True. got heated up because uh, people who wanted to leave, even like, let's say, Jewish people who had this like long sentiment to leave this country, uh, to leave Soviet Union because it was anti-Semitic, uh, they would deny this for years, you know, for years, and they like let only mm-hmm. like a handful, like maybe very talented uh, Jewish people to leave uh, to Israel. Um, but in general, you couldn't leave this country. The difference in like, modern Russia is that you can leave, you know, you have like a, like this political science, like this option, like just to leave, you know, either to agree, leave, or or just be silent. And it's like most people who live in Russia, they're just silent. And there's like, um, I would say, from, from the percentage of Russian population, it's just a handful of people who um, are angry and who want to protest. But you kind of, you need to understand that uh, you ruin your life. So there is no, uh. there is no big, it, it's really hard to be, to, to be, in, uh, to, to be, to oppose power in Russia, to oppose government and live there, right? It's not, almost impossible. Yeah. Even if you are very talented and smart people, uh, if you're a very talented, smart person, you will be, um, you will face some problems in your life, I would say. Well, this is why we have so many, you know, brilliant Russian people in the West who are intelligent people, but they don't see any prospects for change in Russia, so they move to the West. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, it's um, sad to see this. And the same in Belarus, actually, because so many programmers, so many talented IT specialists are from Belarus and they created lots of cool companies in uh, in Silicon Valley, the same for Russians. I mean, yeah, uh, but um, yeah, but I guess I, I just hope personally, just maybe finishing this uh, part of our uh, uh-huh. conversation, I just hope for peaceful change of power. And I don't think any sort of revolution will be helpful to Russian people. I just, I just think that, yeah, they, they should, uh, I hope, He's not like that stupid, so to speak, and he can choose right person to lead the country in terms of maybe some successor who will be really like Medvedev in his time, maybe way more liberal, way more Western oriented. But I'm like this. This is I'm not sure because now the situation with the West is so bad. Yeah, but, which um, I guess uh, well, since you mentioned the US, it will be a nice way to move to our next topic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess it's also because uh, the new administration already announced that they, they will probably um, impose some sanctions 
on Russia because of Navalny, which is, I mean, I would so disagree with this uh, approach. What do you think, Vala? Okay, um, so these sanctions would be uh, against the persecutions of Navalny, just this, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm not sure if it it's really has a point. I mean, I understand sanctions on Nord Stream mm-hmm. or, I don't know, occupation of Crimea, but um, just one opposition member? I'm not sure if it, do, it will have any effect. But it still can have like this negative effect on diplomacy because... Uh... You, you you kind of prevent any like normal diplomatic relations between states when you impose sanctions and you kind of like make this country look kind of stupid on the international arena which is i mean they don't do this china right because as we discussed you know in previous episode yeah european union uh, gave like this green light to uh, deal with china without like you know without pushing them on uh, uyghurs or something like this yeah which is which is which way is more Yeah. Politic. which is way bigger problem because uh, they persecute not like one person or like not a group of uh, oppositioners but you know just a minority so it's actually fascism you can say absolutely so um, uh, as you mentioned we have a new administration in the White House already for three days mm-hmm. um, we already discussed some uh, foreign policy goals of the new uh, administration Uh, but let's let's move quickly to domestic politics for a moment in the U.S. Uh, we have three days since Biden took office, mm-hmm. and he was just spamming out executive orders, undoing most of Trump's executive orders and issuing some new ones. Um, so he has been busy. But um, do you see any prospect for real change in the U.S. thanks to Biden right now? Uh, yeah. Just judging by his first first days in office and what he has said or done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it's um, it's important to see that uh, you can already you can already say that he's a little bit a populist in terms of he has this pompous you know speeches, pompous like rhetoric, like clearly like Obama did in his time. But you know Obama was younger and he was way better speaker. Uh, so, but no kind of like real proposals, right? No real um, policy, implement, like not just implementation, but just no no real agenda in terms of how we can get there, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, this is, I guess, one of the, as we discussed, it's a big, ch- it's a big change. Like, you know, people say it's a historical moment for the US, but I guess historical moment in the US will last for four years. You know, it's not like just that he won and that's it. You know, when Obama won, It was way more historical, maybe, for to have a first black time president for America in terms of history than like Kamala Harris's mm-hmm. first. Uh, it was way bigger in in terms of like Obama wasn't coming from this elitist class, you know. He was like just uh, ordinary person who who made it kind of, um, uh, which is like different from Biden and uh, Kamala Harris, for example. Um, but I mean. Uh, yes, I guess like the, the historical moment starts now and like they have at least like four years to change it and uh, the question is whether they can can do this and uh, of course everything can get stuck, you know, everything gets stuck in this elitist politics and bureaucracy and uh, in again like invoking this great, not great power competition, but kind of invoking this uh, like just this agenda of democracy versus autocracy in the world or something mm-hmm. like this. And just like doing the same thing as America did last, uh, let's say, 30 years, like, you know, doing just uh, kind of trying to <clears throat> trying to be the policeman of the world. 
but now it has no kind of power to do this anymore. So it should be, I mean, I hope uh, Biden can be pragmatic, but uh, recent kind of news that, um, and his national security advisor, a like famous person, is like Circle Sullivan, um, he basically has this anti-Russian, you know, anti-Chinese, anti-Iranian agenda, kind of like we, you know, we are leaders and they are like uh, rock states, kind of like this uh, um, a la bouche uh, uh, kind uh -huh. of rhetoric. And this is bad. And this is what can lead to like, for example, not in domestic politics, but I mean, in uh, it's, I guess it's also a nice transition to say that, uh, as they said, you know, like you need to concentrate like in America now on what's on solving American problems, first of all, and not looking into other countries and not trying to subvert actually subvert other countries. So what's, and how you, do you feel about it? Do you, do you see, and especially maybe uh, as you live right now in the US and Chicago, maybe you can also share your experience in terms of uh, how people feel about, do they feel like this is a historical moment and what do they expect from Biden? Yeah, uh, my uh, feeling talking to Americans here and people around me is that people were really enthusiastic about Biden taking office but the moment he actually did take office, all many of the people who were super happy started being skeptical. Why is that? I think the biggest thing that makes Biden's presidency historical is the fact that he defeated Trump. Uh, had he had some different opponents, some, let's say, normal Republican uh, candidate against him, his presidency would be nothing out of the ordinary he'll be just mm -hmm. the next you know white guy democrat uh long-time party member and an activist taking mm -hmm. office so there will be nothing historical about this what's historical is that he beat a president that had some authoritarian tendencies and was super populist uh, and disregarded the u.s constitution on many occasions and what biden did is he uh, basically beat this guy uh, now that people, uh, we have Biden in power, people are sort of realizing that, okay, cool that Trump lost, but it's maybe not so cool that he lost to this guy. Mm -hmm. We could have had someone else. Um, so yeah, that's uh, on the topic of uh, his presidency being historical. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in terms of policy, as he said, we didn't hear... Yeah. much about his policy uh, so far what what he did is revert many of trump's uh, executive mm -hmm. orders uh, he ordered to stop the building of the wall on the border uh, he uh, reverted the muslim travel ban um, but so far he didn't issue much uh, by himself like there mm -hmm. wasn't any proactive uh, yeah. behavior on his behalf uh, he in terms of uh, domestic policy, he promised, you know, to fight for this stimulus package to be uh, $2,000, which is what Trump actually wanted. Uh, so we have this um, kind of populist and, you know, interventionist uh, policy, which is, uh, which Trump started and Biden seems to be continuing. Um, and mm. in terms of foreign policy, um, well, he will be definitely more anti-Russian than Trump. But I don't think that he will be much different on his stance towards uh, China or, you know, different uh, totalitarian regimes. So I feel like we are back to, like, you know, 2000s mm -hmm. 
something like this, uh, where America is the policeman of the world and the definite uh, hegemon. Uh, the problem is that the America isn't the only hegemon in the world right now and a great mm -hmm. power. So those policies that may have worked uh, 20 or 10 years ago right now might be, well, outdated. That's yeah. why I wouldn't call this presidency historical. Yeah, but also, I guess, uh, you know, they chose, uh, they still kind of try to sell, especially is like Democrats try to sell this argument that, um, um, like, you know, Trump was just a unique guy and he was, uh, of course, detrimental to American system. But what they miss is like he he wasn't the cause of this, right? He was just uh, yes. a result of this. And I mean, they chose, uh, I mean, American people chose Trump uh, at first place because he was kind of like... Um, they were fed up with those elitist politicians even you know after it, it's just such a big transition even after obama because obama was um of course obama when he became a president he faced really hard crisis and uh, but then you know uh, even just straight after this crisis he got involved for example in libya why would president who uh, advocated the most for like this peaceful uh, peaceful Middle East process, you know, withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, withdrawing troops from Iraq. How, why would he, you know, invade, kind of like, no, not invade, but at least like, you know, just kill Gaddafi, just like, just, in other words, why would he just uh, bring this total mess to another, to another, you know, Middle Eastern country when they just got, when they just like had already so, when they messed up so many times, so to speak. Yeah, and Trump supporters actually mentioned that it a lot that Democrats are warmongers and Trump yeah. wouldn't get engaged in any war during his presidency, and I now uh, the Democrats will be you know back to sending troops abroad. I mean, I think they're all like warmongers because it's like if you if you just look at history, it's like both Republicans recently and Democrats, uh, like Bush Senior, you know, uh, Clinton, Bush uh, Junior. Obama, they all started the wars, you know, regardless True. of like their party affiliation. Uh, and, and Trump was different from both Democrats and Republicans alike. Yeah, Trump was different. Uh, of course, he luckily he didn't start a war in another country. <laughs> that's a good, uh, I guess that's a good achievement. That's but of a course, good thing, yeah. With like, for example, with Biden, it, it, it really looks uh, if he continues this uh, uh, rhetoric against like Russia, against um, I guess against China it's a little bit different, I would say. Uh, but if he continues like this rhetoric against like Russia, against Iran, um, I, w I, w I don't think it will end up really peacefully. In it kind of it doesn't really facilitate peace and doesn't really contribute. They don't contribute. They make Russia even more angry, you know, and they also uh, make people in Russia support Putin because well, like when they see those sanctions, uh, endless sanctions. And it's like, you know, uh, with uh, Russia, it's fine. But uh, with Iran, for example, they basically sanction uh, people and uh, deny them access to health, like deny them access to some medical goods on the ground that, you know, like their government is bad or something, which is absolute nonsense in terms of how you can, can do, can, how can you do this and um, present yourself as this, a beacon of democracy, a beacon of all good things. Um, yeah, I guess they just need to... I guess I mean the one thing the one thing is good maybe we can also discuss and I just really want to listen, or hear your opinion about this. It's mm -hmm. um, it looks like he appointed a lot of like PhDs, you know, experts to Pentagon, to CIA, to Foreign Office, Arms Control like um, departments. So they now there is a lot of um, there is a lot of experts there. 
So do you think it can help? Uh, so do you think, um, in, in other words, they were like, this, like, I guess there was like an article I, I read uh, and says something like, because Biden is so obviously so old and um, he has no, uh, he, like, like, for example, uh, he doesn't have so much energy, he'll probably like uh, deliberate all those uh, decision making process to his, you know, advisors, to his uh, secretaries and his staff. So do you think that can help maybe to make a world a little bit more peaceful or <laughs> yeah i guess well um i'm sure that it will be uh it will be good for america's interest especially abroad um this is a funny thing that you mentioned because that's exactly what trump was warning his uh well the people of america during the election uh campaign he would say don't vote for biden because he will listen to scientists uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, I guess Trump uh, is right in this matter. Uh, Biden is listening to professionals, which I always think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but will it contribute to world peace? I'm not sure. I'm sure it will contribute to America's interest. And, you know, sometimes to protect interests, you have to go to war. Um, mm. So, well, I'm not sure uh, if uh, people on his cabinet and especially National Security uh, Council uh, if they're super peaceful people, I'm sure mm -hmm. they're professionals and they know that sometimes if you have some vital interests, you have to send troops in. And this is a very common thinking, both in the Democratic and Republican parties, uh, which history has which shown. Is, which is also kind of like overstretching. You can think about this, you know, like, uh, um, like Roman Empire, not in the, let's say it's like something like a, a 180, uh, something. It wasn't they had they haven't like hadn't really faced crisis uh, so far, but uh, they they still continued stretching you know the empire stretching it to to Great Britain to Germany to like you know just continued conquering even though it was kind of already it felt like it was falling apart you know like three emperors changed in one in like one year for example in seventeen like yeah or seven seventy year uh, so it's like feels the same for America they kind of like. Elites try to like continue this expanding, but what they don't realize, maybe like first, of course, like the U.S. doesn't have maybe so much resources, and then it uh, uh, it it facilitates cooperation, like let's say between China and Russia, uh, and it just it just kind of destabilizes the whole system, you know, that like actually the U.S. created at the first place. Um, and that's what feels uh, a little bit like we live in a little bit like dangerous actually maybe situation right now uh, yeah i think that um people on biden's in biden's administration will have to uh prioritize uh, the regions where they are engaged because uh yes america is still the, the greatest superpower in the world but yeah. they cannot they are easily overextended if they were to you know dilute their forces in many different regions in the world just mm. just think about it korea japan and taiwan uh, the persian gulf middle east europe uh, yeah. also they want to be engaged in southern america it's just a lot even for a superpower Yes, it's it's a lot, and it's uh, really hard, even to like you know, in logistics term, just to keep everything under control in such a big planet. Oh, not not only planet at all, also in space, you know, in, yes. everywhere basically in the world. So, yeah, I guess um, that's why. I mean, as I told us uh, uh, at the beginning of our episode, I hope he uh, he will be pragmatic, or at least people who work with him will be pragmatic, 
because you know Sullivan told like his national security advisor that uh, if Georgia joins NATO, uh, that will deter Russia, and I would say this is like already very bad idea because that 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 can cause actually war, not 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 uh, restore peace, you know, um, uh, because obviously Russia won't allow, uh, and then you kind of you provoke Russia and Russian people into thinking that Putin is right, you know, like NATO exists just to expand to its borders and uh, to maybe yeah. conquer it one day. This is the same thing that uh, people in Russia thought after NATO, uh, the NATO expansion after the end of the Cold War, yeah. the former Eastern Bloc countries joined and people in Russia were like, oh, wow, see, the US is expanding and they want to, you yeah. know, devour Russia. Yeah, and moreover, uh, like the the, the America uh, didn't provide any support to newly democratic Russia, so to speak, neither in money nor in like resources. I mean, yeah, it can help like to draft like institute to create institutions, but you know, it uh, Russia like had to pay Soviet debt, for example, which is hilarious because um, because actually when when Soviet Union fell, you can imagine how much uh, money was saved uh, in American budget because of like. Uh, they return so 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 many uh, so many troops, right? And I mean, they just like cut down defense. Uh, I, I guess like so much that you definitely can say, and even even give money to Soviet Union for like Soviet Union to Russia for this to you know to make people prosper, and like they did like with the Marshall Plan after first uh, Second World War. But they kind of overlooked this, you know. And of course, they got problems. As and you take a class with Mersheimer, and Mersheimer pretty much predicted this in 90s then this policy leads to nowhere you know uh, yeah that russia even though like he uh, back then in 90s it was really weak he said like yeah I, uh, but you know it still had like great potential so uh, once it would be a little bit more powerful it would it would raise a voice in the system because it, it it's not satisfied in with the position that it was given after after um, the fall, like after the fall of Soviet Union and after like the end of uh, this Cold War, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Okay, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Um, subscribe to our channels, rate us. And yeah, see you next week. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>